And even when we have tragedies in our life, it shows us how God is our anchor and how he can take us through some of the most difficult times in our lives. Um, there's all kinds of forms of brokenness. I'm going to take you to different places this morning. And the first place is going to be in Romans 4. And if you've been here on Wednesday night very much, um, it's hard for me to stay out of Romans. Um, just love the book. It's so strategic to our salvation. But I want to talk about where our title is, Hope Beyond Brokenness. And this is the title of this message this morning, is Hope Beyond Brokenness. What about the word hope? What about that word? Um, the last statement that's listed in 1 Corinthians 13 Paul had went through a series of things that's going to cease at some point in time. Prophecies are going to cease. Tongues are going to cease. Knowledge. All these things are going to come to a place where they're no longer needed. And this is what he said. When all of that happens, there's three things that will still be. Right? Right? Faith, hope, and love. Isn't it interesting that hope makes the cut? When you reduce things down to three entities, three dynamics that's going to outlast everything, we're not surprised to find faith in there or love in there, are we? But right in the middle of that is hope. So what is so special about hope? And I believe that's going to help us as we tender this book to people and give this book and sponsor this book. Faith and hope are inseparable. Think about it. We all know the definition of faith, right? In Hebrews, faith is the substance of things. Look ye there. There pops up that little word, hope. Faith is the substance of things hope for the evidence of things not seen. So faith and hope are connected. How are they connected to where they're practically inseparable? Well, I'm going to take you through different kinds of brokenness this morning, just, just a handful, because there's all kinds of brokenness. People are broken in every way. People don't know, how the, don't know the Lord, they're broken. Why is it? That people who are wealthy have, have everything externally that looks like what would make somebody happy, but they're not happy. And some of the richest people that we know of, some of the most celebrated people in Hollywood, when you look at it, it says they got everything going for them, and they end up taking their own life. How does that happen? is because no matter externally, whatever they have around them, inside, we're all broken. Inside, there's a brokenness. There's something not right there. And sometimes people have this despair that sinks in. They have all the money they need, everything around them that they need, but it's not satisfying. Take a look at Abraham and Sarah for a moment. They're in Romans chapter 4, by the way. Think about Abraham and Sarah with me just for a moment. Their faith, their hope, they're celebrated in, in Hebrews 11, in that hall of faith. They're, 
They, they had to walk things out by faith without a manual, without a Bible. They, you know, they predated the Bible. They had to just trust God. And so they, they left their home, they left their family, and they went to a place they were unfamiliar with and didn't even know exactly where. God was just saying, you start going and I'll tell you where to go. They kept this nephew with them and his wife, Lot. And things externally looked great. Their crop, their herds were growing. They were multiplying in every way. They were both excelling. If you just looked at them from a business standpoint, they were doing really well. But something was wrong for Abraham and Sarah. They didn't have a child. Now, their nephew and his wife that was with them had two daughters. But they didn't have a child. All these years, they were hoping to have a child. Infertility is tough for anybody, even in our day and time. But back then, it was everything. There was so much riding on having, especially a son that would take care of the family, take care of them, would carry on the family name. And they didn't have a son or a daughter. And years passed, and the expectancy for a pregnancy went with those years. Sarah gave her maid, Hagar, to her husband. Not a good decision, was it? You know, whatever possessed her to do that, I don't know. But maybe it's this. When people get desperate, they do stupid things, right? And she thought, well, I'll get a son through her. And when Ishmael arrived, it wasn't her son. It didn't work. In fact, just the opposite took place. She began to resent Hagar, resent Ishmael, was jealous that she could have a child from her husband, but she couldn't. And she had given up all hope. When you read in Genesis 18, she didn't even think it was possible anymore for her to have a child. In Romans 4, verse 18, it captures where Abraham's heart was. If you're there, Abraham's disposition against all hope. This is, I love the wording here. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. Isn't that odd? Against all hope. And and if you study the word hope, it means an expectation. In other words, there was now a new expectation competing for Abraham's heart And it already sees Sarah's heart. And the expectation was this. We're not going to have a child. It's not going to happen. This expectation had taken hold of Sarah. But Abraham, even though that expectation was competing for his own mind and his heart, the Scripture says, in hope he believed. In a different hope. In a different expectation. Even though it looked not only improbable, impossible. You've heard me read this text many times, but I love this section of Romans 4. And so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. He heard God say that. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. 
that he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded, still with everything else around him, persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. In Genesis 18, the Lord sends three angels posing as men to talk to Abraham about a couple of things. One of them was Lot's situation in Sodom and Gomorrah. And they get to that. But they ask, one of them asks, uh, Abraham, where's Sarah? He says, oh, she's in the tent. She had prepared meal for these men and for Abraham, her husband. He says, this time next year, I'm going to come back and visit you, and Sarah's going to have a son. Now, Sarah had kind of hid behind the opening of the tent, and she heard that. And she kind of laughed. <laughs> this old woman and that old man? You think I'm going to have the pleasure of a child? And she laughed. And the angel said, uh, why did Sarah laugh? And she come on and said, I didn't laugh. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, I'm in. <laughs> yes, we're believing all the way. <laughs> but this is where she was at. It really didn't matter where she was at or Abraham was at, to be truthful. God was going to do his thing. But he says, oh, yes, you did laugh. She tried to, he says, no, you did laugh. You're talking to someone who knows that you laughed. But this is the context that Abraham had a wife that had given up, especially after that debacle with Ishmael. She was done. She wasn't going to try anything else. She was like, this is not going to happen. And that time next year, Abraham was holding a son that Sarah conceived and gave birth to. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, not wavering. You see, there's people who are broken because of disappointments. And there is as much done with life as Sarah was with having a baby. It's not going to happen. It's impossible. It, it's, not, it's not even thinkable that this is going to happen to two old people, a hundred years old, and Sarah pretty much done with childbearing. But they were holding a baby. And then there's the brokenness of loss. This book talks about that. What cost us so much and pierces our hearts so much. I thought about this past week. February the 16th was already kind of stood out in my mind because Brenda, that was Brenda's mother's birthday, February the 16th. And so I, I always thought about her on that birthday. Because, you know, great people are born in February. <laughs> yes, they are. Thank the Lord. But something else happened on February the 16th. Some of you might know where I'm going here. But this marks 10 years that Kevin Heitz was killed instantly on the interstate. February the 16th, 2007. And, and to say that I'm not still grieved by that would, would not be an honest statement. Because I love that young man. He would sit on the floor, which I'm sure you that knew Kevin, 
that that's kind of... And, and the guy was obsessed with sandals. You know, I, I went into the store. He was working at a clothing store, and I looked down, and he had dress shoes on. I says, how hard was it for you to wear dress shoes? Well, it's a job. <laughs> but he had this unique love for God and, and the sudden loss of him. But I remember how the youth, and I remember that Paris and Candace stepped up as leaders and the whole youth group was devastated But how strong they, some of them gave eulogies at his memorial service and just showed the impact that he had on them to be strong in, the, in this unthinkable 21-year-old man going to Bible college after this, that coming summer, his life is over. That's hard for people to process, isn't it? And yet at the same time, my dad was battling the recurrence of cancer and was dropping dramatically in health. A month after Kevin died, my dad lost the use of his legs. And for a proud World War II vet to have to be cared for by his children, it was extremely humbling for him. But it was excruciating for all of us to watch him waste away over those few months and to pass away in June of 2007. 2007 was a tough year. 2004 was a tough year. So how do we get through loss? How do we get through those things? Let me take you to 1 Thessalonians 4.13 because this is a verse that will only apply to certain people. Not everybody will see it through these eyes. Someone asked me the other day after we did Ella's baby dedication, how many, how many babies have you participated in dedicating? I said, I have no idea. And I have no idea how many weddings I've done, how many funerals I've done. But I can tell you this. The ones that stand out in my mind are the ones that I did where there was absolutely no hope within that memorial service. And most of them was not a, a chapel service, it was a graveside service. You know, it's like Billy Richardson at Southeastern talking about some of, you know, I, I, I was scared in one graveside service when the funeral director came up to me and said, we're either going to have to call the police or you're going to have to do this right now. <laughs> because the, everybody there was so drunk, so drunk, they were going to drag their granddaddy and their uncle out of the coffin. <laughs> and these were, these were people who had cases of beer in their trunk. When I arrived, I said, what is going on here? I led that guy to the Lord just before he died of brain cancer because he had a relative in our church, and she and her husband were the only ones at the graveside service that knew the Lord, and she came up and said, this is scaring me. Somebody, somebody needs to do something. I just says, we're going to have the service right now. I preached and shared the gospel, but they were so drunk, it, I don't even know if it had registered. But I walked away from there, and I said, the great sadness here is for them, that was it. That man in that casket, they wanted the casket to be opened while it was sitting over the ground. And the funeral director said, well, we're not supposed to do that. 
And they looked at him and says, you open it and you open it right now. And so he went over and opened it and he'd come back and told me, he says, I'm going to call the police or we're going to do the service or we're getting out of here. They're going to do whatever they're going to do with, with this body. And so we had the service, they calmed down. But I walked away from there and said, I've got a glimpse of people who don't have 1 Thessalonians 4.13. I caught a glimpse and it was so sad. Thankful that man accepted Jesus. But that family was just known for being outlaws. And, but that precious man had his name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Here's what 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. And that sounds like such a simple statement. But it makes all the difference in the world when there's a loss of life. He didn't say that I don't want you to grieve. He said, but I don't want you to grieve as those who have no expectation of something beyond this. That's what hope means. Hope that carries you past that reality. The message puts it this way. And, and if you have the message, you can follow it. And I'm going to read the rest of this from the message. And regarding the question, friends, that has come up about what happens to those already dead and buried, and we don't want you to be in the dark any longer, first of all, you must not carry on over them like people who have nothing to look forward to as if the grave was the last word. And I thought about that funeral in Jacksonville, Florida, out in a country cemetery that I'll never forget how people react who have no hope. Since Jesus died and broke loose from the grave, God will most certainly bring back to life those who died in Jesus. And then this, we can tell you with complete confidence, that's what hope is, we have the Master's word on it, that when the Master comes again to get us, those of us who are still alive will not get a jump on the dead and leave them behind. In actual fact, they'll be ahead of us. The master himself will give the command, archangel angel thunder, God's trumpet blast. He'll come down from heaven and the dead in Christ will rise. They'll go up first. Then the rest of us who are still alive at the time will be caught up with them into the clouds to meet the master. And oh, We'll be walking on air. And then there will be one huge family reunion with the master. So reassure one another with these words. Since Jesus died and broke loose from the grave, we have a different hope, don't we? Hope beyond the brokenness of loss. And what about the uncertainty of our future? Where is hope? In today's culture, where is hope? We have so much division, gender confusion, racial division, drugs, crime, riots, terrorism, protests, censorship, intolerance, and the list can go on and on. It's almost suffocating to see the conditions of our culture today, is it not? And we are called to protect our homes and protect our children. But I want to tell you this. Don't let fear be the motivating factor there. 
Rather let hope be the motivating factor. Fear can suffocate what we try to do. What we, we, we don't need to live in fear, friends. We need to live in hope. We live in such a hostile climate. We need hope. I want to take you to 1 Peter chapter 3 because this is a couple more passages I'm going to read. It's as though the Apostle Peter was reading today's headlines. You know, I was telling someone I was, I was going through uh, the McDonald's drive-thru um, across from TA truck stop at that exit. And I've witnessed to some of the people that work there in the kitchen, and it had been a while. I, I, I think I, I, gave, I gave people in that restaurant that worked back there money to go see War Room. And I never got back to say, did y'all go and see it? Not give me my money back. No, I wasn't going to do that. But, and I was like, have you seen the, no. I said, see the movie. It'll change your life. And so you know all of the stuff going on on the interstate, and we can't get on there. We all know about that, don't we, Sloan? You have to go the back way. But I rode through there the other day, and I was looking for the lady that I witnessed to the most. I said, she must not be here anymore. And then she walked by the window and she spotted me. And she waved and I waved. And here she comes. She wasn't one waiting on me at the drive through window. And I said, did you go see War Room? She says, yes. My mother and I, we just like, and she was telling me about it. She says, and do you think she gave me this political deal? Do you think that what's going on is the end of the world? I says, No. What you need to do is go home with your mom and read Matthew 24. Matthew tells us what's going to happen at the end of time. She was got, had this fear on her. She says, no, no, it's, that's easy to go that way. Don't go that way. Go back to Matthew 24. And, and in Matthew 24, Jesus states all these things that Peter states. And again and again, what he's telling the disciples is, but don't you be afraid. Don't you be filled with fear because God has got his hand on what's going on. Do you believe that? Listen to 1 Peter chapter 3. This is chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, listen, in his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope, a hope that is alive through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, that will never be subject to conditions of culture. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. It's reserved for you, who through faith are shielded by the God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. We are living in the last days, but remember what he said. We're shielded by God's power. We have this living hope, and there's nothing going on around us that can take that hope from us. There's something also called the blessed hope. This is my final verse I'll give you. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. If Brandon and the team can come up. Titus 2, verse 11. You ought to mark this and remember it when things are going haywire around you. You know, I'm all for 
our country to be safe. But I think that verse in the Old Testament, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses and stuff. But we got to trust in the power of God. We cannot trust our security to man's ingenuity and wisdom. We got to trust God. Listen to what he said. For the grace of God that has appeared offers salvation to all people. In other words, the grace of God has appeared to everyone regarding salvation. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. It's though they were writing this for us in our day and time. It is so uncanny how it applies to us. While we wait for the blessed hope, this uh, expectation, this confident assurance, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all of that, all that stuff, all wickedness, and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Hope beyond brokenness, beyond dread, beyond fear, beyond the panic. Hope actually beyond hopelessness. Hopelessness is a terrible thing, isn't it? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. We sang the chorus of that song earlier. Would you stand with me? You don't have to wait for your brokenness to be healed. The shattered confidence that you have or the loss that you've encountered. The despair, the depression, the tendency to give up. Lord, I pray this morning. I pray for those in this room their hope has been stretched and their hope has been challenged. And maybe they're starting to think things are not going to work out. And like Sarah, just see things as impossible or improbable. And yet, Lord, your promise stands right in front of us that you said, call upon you and you will answer us. The brokenness that's in our lives, the wounded expectations that things didn't turn out the way we wanted them to. Maybe there's people here that's still carrying a great loss, a great sacrifice that they're no longer able to endure much. I ask you, Lord, to pour hope into their souls, into their hearts.